Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decision or moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. My guest today is Dilly Carter. Dilly is the brains behind Declutter Dollies, a comprehensive organising and home styling service, and is hailed by the BBC as London's Marie Kondo, and she can be seen doing her thing on BBC One with Stacey Solomon in Sort Your Life Out. Dilly has had an extraordinary life after being adopted by her parents in Sri Lanka at three years old. As a teenager, she found her love and talent of organisation working in boutiques as a personal shopper and a PA. After learning the value of decluttering when she began helping her mother, who suffers from bipolar, organise her living chaos at home, she started Declutter Dollies. Today, Dilly works with her global social media platform and private clients to help them become more organised in their day-to-day lives and promises to turn people's chaos into calm. Dilly has a young family and has been an inspiration to so many, where she doesn't just make life pretty, she makes it work. And I'm so excited to chat to her about her life. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Dilly. Thank you very much. What a lovely intro. Great. It always sounds so, it, it sounds like, wow, have I done all that, those things? It's so interesting. Well, you have. So I've been engrossed in your story when I was prepping yesterday. Um, for hours, I was looking into all your moments and your life. And I'm so excited to dive in and chat to you. Um, and what I really love about what you do is, is I feel like you're very, you've got a very authentic talent and passion for what you do. Um, Do you want to kind of explain a bit what your mantra is and why you do what you do? 
you know, I, as cheesy as this sounds, I would do my job for nothing if I didn't have bills to pay because I genuinely like to help people. You know, I'm the sort of person, if I go round to my girlfriend's house and I can see that they need some help, I'm like, oh, come on, let's just do it while we have a bottle of wine. I'll I'll sort your car covered out. I'll sort this out. You know, I'm never really turning off. I'm always thinking, how can I help? What can I do? You know, I'll work at the weekends. I'll work after faith. I'm that type of person. I'm not someone that... It's like, oh, I love to organise. Let's put some pasture in some jars and let's make everything look lovely. That's really nothing about me. I love doing that. And that, to me, is the end result of a very long game. And I think that's why I probably, my Instagram following has grown, why people like me, because actually I'm not just about the pretty aesthetic type, because I think people get swept away with mm-hmm. that a lot. And um, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm much more that organization doesn't have to be pretty it just has to work um it's just about being in control of your home so I focus on that much more and I think that's what's amazing about what you do you've got such a psychology behind it and as I say like you've got an actual talent like the speed in which you go is like unbelievable and I think that as you say it's what really makes you unique and why you've probably been so successful I'm not someone that wants to hang around. You know, some I I, I see I watch some organizers and think, oh my goodness, it's taking you three weeks to do that kitchen. What? <laughs> like I'm in and out in six hours. How is it taking you that long? Um, you know, so I often watch other jobs, you know, as we do, we all watch each other and uh, I watch other people do things and I just think, you know, you're and I watch people do things, you know. There'll be people that, you know, my clients, my customers, or you know, the Instagram as a whole, I'll be watching them do something and think, God, that's taking you six days, or why is it taking you so long? Because I'm very much, I'm in, I'm out. So when I go to quote jobs, people are often like, what? It's going to take you what? Six, you're going to be here one day. I'm like, are you sure you're not going to be here for weeks? That's going to take me, that would have taken me six months. And I'm like, no, I don't like to hang around. I like to come in. Let's just do it, get it done. And off I go. Fish you know, so bosh. I'm never someone that's, yeah, I, I just like, I, you know, I don't want to be there longer than you need me to be there. You know, I don't want to be taken over your life. I am like a bit of a whirlwind. I say this all the time. You know, I, I, I'm very much like the Tasmanian devil. So what what's the worst job then that you've ever had with a client without naming names? <laughs> um, I don't. I mean, there's been some jobs I've walked into and thought, gosh, I didn't think it would be as uh, as chaotic as this. Um, but there's never for me the worst the job, the better it is for me. So nothing phases me, and that's another thing that is is I suppose a selling point for me is that you know it doesn't matter how chaotic it is because I've seen it all it doesn't matter if I have to push your door to get it open and you know I have to walk over things to get to where I need to get to nothing bothers me because I know that I've got the power to change it so it doesn't matter how bad your house is I know I can deal with it I love that because you know it's you have to be have that sort of mentality because you probably must just walk into some situations and just like I mean I'd walk in and just be like I cannot do this so it's good that your mindset is that way and it obviously why you're so good at what you do um so in terms of the tv show I'm really interested to know how did that come about um because I mean I love it I think it's such a clever idea I'm someone that needs to see everything that I have you know I've got all my clothes so I can see everything and you know to take people's possessions and put them in a warehouse and figure it out that way is just amazing so how how did you get involved in the show Oh, I know the, the producers are absolute geniuses and, and uh, the production company are just incredible. And they didn't actually come to me with the idea. Um, they were looking, they just asked me to advertise it on my Instagram. They were, they were oh. looking for people for a show. And would I advertise it on my Instagram for families? Because they were looking for families. And uh, I've sort of, you know, actually I haven't even told them this. I was sort of like, oh, well, that's, you know, a bit cheeky. I'm not on the show. <laughs> 
Joe, but you asked me to promote this show and get families. And then um, they came back to me a few weeks later and said, actually, we've been watching you. Um, would you like to come for an interview? And I went for an interview and joined the interview process with, uh, you know, some others. And I don't know who the others were, but yeah, it went, I went through all the processes and yeah, I got the job. So, I, and then they told me what it was for. So they didn't actually tell me until I got the job that it was going to be this BBC One show, that it was with Stacey and all this type of stuff. So they kept it really secret. Um, so it was amazing when I found out, obviously I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be amazing. Um, so yes, it was, uh, yeah, really exciting. I'm so, I can't, I keep pinching myself that I'm even part of it. That's so cool and such a great story. And do you actually manage to get the houses done in a week? Like are you strict with your timings that you actually do it in reality? It's literally, it's less than seven days. Wow. And you know, it really is everyone that does their role on the show does what they do so it is really time constrained um and it's it's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress so what you see is exactly how we feel you know we are sitting there with our head in our hands thinking oh my god I'm never gonna do this (laughs) but I have to say now I know how much um speed means to you I can probably see that it's all done and I can see you're exactly the right person for the job um so what I, I wanted to spend a lot of time talking about your moments, so I want to kind of get right in there. But before we talk about them, I wanted to ask, like, are you a fan of the film of Sliding Doors? Do you believe in kind of the theory of fate and coincidence? I mean, you've had such an incredible journey through your life that I'd love to know what your thoughts are around that theory. 100%. Um, there are so many things that have happened to me in my life that if they hadn't have happened... I wouldn't be where I am. And I know that's that's true for most people because, of course, if something, if something hadn't happened, something else wouldn't have happened. You close one door, you open another. But the sliding doors theory, I think, oh, my goodness, if, you know, I go back straight, if I go back from, to the very beginning, if my birth mother hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have done this, then she would, you know, there's, it's, it's the knock-on effect, isn't it, of everything mm-hmm. that could have happened that didn't happen or didn't happen that could have happened. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm 100% a believer in all of that. And, and fate, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have met my husband if it wasn't for fate, so yeah. Yeah, uh, you roll everything into one with all of your moments and actually it's a really good introduction to your first moment, which is your mum, your birth mum giving you up for adoption in Sri Lanka. And it's such an incredible story and I know that you're a very big advocate for adoption and there's probably so many mini mini sliding doors moments within this story um but your parents that adopted you were accountants they went to Sri Lanka to live and couldn't have children and what is the story like where do you want to kind of start by explaining um how it all began yeah so my mum um my adopted mum I mean see this is a crazy thing isn't it where do we start because yeah. um my mum my adopted mum couldn't have children so if she could have had children, she, they would have never option. Yeah. So she had, um, she had stomach problems and ended up having a hysterectomy in her 40s. So in that time, they had got married, realised they couldn't have children and lived in Sri Lanka, all within this time of her realising she couldn't have children. So when they came back to England after having lived in Sri Lanka for eight years, and realised they still couldn't have children. She'd had this hysterectomy. They were now in their 40s. Well, my mum was in her 40s. My dad was in his 50s. Mm-hmm. They decided, let's go back to Sri Lanka to adopt. So there's another moment. They could yeah. have just decided that they'd adopted in, in England. But no, they decided they'd go back to Sri Lanka because that's where my dad was originally from. That's oh, really? Where they, yeah, and that's so my, my dad was Sri Lankan. My mum was English. And they met in university over here. So if my dad yeah. hadn't come from Sri Lanka, yeah, they'd come and study in England he wouldn't have met my mum if they hadn't have got married obviously 
And uh, he didn't even, they didn't even talk about children. My mum and dad met and within a week he asked her to get married and they got married. Wow. He didn't, they didn't even have the discussion that she might not be able to have children. So then they couldn't have children and then they decided to go back to Sri Lanka and then they met their friend who was a bishop and he said, there's an orphanage down the road, let me introduce you to them. I think there's a little girl in there that you would love and that's what happened. So then they decided, right, we're going to adopt. And um, they went to the orphanage to go and, you know, had heard about me, went there. And I think I was seven weeks old then. This is all a bit hazy because some of the information I have, I don't know if it's real or not. Mm -hmm. So they went to the orphanage and they looked at me. I think they found me when I was seven weeks old. But then they actually didn't officially adopt me until I was three years old. So I was in the orphanage for three years. Um, so I was the oldest child there and then they brought me back to England. So yeah, that moment, I think it is, it's really strange because if they, they could have adopted from the UK, why didn't they adopt from the UK? Why did they choose to go to Sri Lanka? And my dad throughout my life never spoke of my adoption because he was very, he wasn't ashamed by it, but he was a very proud man, I think. And he just was like, I think he felt a failure because he couldn't have children of his own. And because my dad was a devout Buddhist when he grew up and then he became a Christian, he was a Sri Lankan man of a very strong Sri Lankan family. And it just, those types of things didn't happen in the 80s, you know. People didn't do that. A, 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 you know, a Sri Lankan man didn't marry an English woman either. Mm-hmm. So you've got all that. You've got all the, the whole race thing. And back then, you know, my mum didn't even look at my dad like that. And she, to this day, will say, I never experienced any racism. She never had anything. And she, mm-hmm. you know, she lived in Sri Lanka for eight years, surrounded by Sri Lankans who were the most loving, kind, you know, people you could ever meet. And she said, that's all I ever felt was love, even though she was the only English woman in a group of Sri Lankan women. So my mum took a lot of risks, um, not a lot of risks, but she just, you know, she met my dad, she fell in love and that was it. And that's all she's ever said. And that's all she'd ever say to this day. She'd never experienced any racism. But also my mum is very, a very stoic British woman, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, and she's all very, you know, my mum and dad were married, God, 50, 60 years, however long. And, you know, to the day he died, she was, you know, devoted to him. And even though that he wasn't always the best husband, she was devoted. And I think that generation, that's, that's a generational thing, mm-hmm. isn't it? You, you had your marriage, you, you got on with your life and that was it. So, yeah, there's lots of sliding door moments, even in my mum and dad's life, to the fact that I was even here. But they chose me. They brought me yeah. back to England. And my journey began. I mean, it's so incredible. I have so many things to ask you. I mean, did you, you mentioned it slightly there, but did you know you were adopted when you were growing up? Um, as soon as I could understand, they told me, yeah. And they yeah. always told me that if I wanted to look into having, um, if I wanted to look into finding my real mum and dad, they were going to help me and um, support me. And uh, so, yeah, I did. And um, I, I was always like, oh, I, I don't think I will. I don't think I care. My dad sort of wasn't as supportive, but my mum always was. And I think that's why I waited till he died to start looking into it properly, because I don't think I ever wanted to upset him, because I knew it would. Really taking it back, like, do, do you know, if you don't mind me asking, why you were adopted in the first place? Well, these are things that I'm still really unsure of. So um, that's another story. That's almost, so basically what happened was, so I met my husband when I was 18, we um, had to get, we were getting married in Bali. And in order to get married in Bali, you need your wedding, you need your birth certificate to show that obviously, you know, it's your proof of ID, whatever it is. And my mum couldn't find it. So she said, get in contact with the nun from the orphanage. She may be able to tell you where you can get a copy of your birth certificate. So I was like, okay, um, got in contact with her. She said, there's a guy that's worked for the orphanage that's helped lots of children rekindle their relationships with their natural parents. He's also been on German TV helping people. He's now a bit 
bit of a celebrity. You know, he helps the children find their parents. Yeah. I was like, wow, okay, well, let me have his details. Can you get my birth certificate? So getting a birth certificate is very simple for you. It's very simple for me in this country. So we'd go to our local district, wouldn't we? We'd mm-hmm. go to our local, you know, um, office. Like I'd go to Aylesbury and go and get a copy of Nellie's birth certificate. So they're quite simple things to do. So the same is in Sri Lanka. So I, I said to him, look, if you can go and get a copy of my birth certificate and email it to me, um, that would be great. But also, if you take that information, I'm coming over there for the last two weeks of my honeymoon and maybe you could show me around Sri Lanka because I've never really been and had a proper look. Could yeah. you show me where I was born? Show me all the, you know, show me the hospital I was born in, the village I was born in, take me back to the orphanage. And he was like, yes, of course. So we paid him probably 2000 nearly £2,000 to do this. So he said, okay, I'll look into this information. I'll take your birth certificate and I'll see you when you come over here next May. So that was it. I sort of, he he went off, went to the district yeah. office, sent me my copy of my birth certificate and he took a copy. And then I never spoke to him again until I just knew that I was going to see him in May. So that was another year on. So in May, just before we'd got married, I emailed him and said, you, you're going to come and meet us. He's like, yeah, everything's fine. Nothing else. And then after the last two weeks of our honeymoon, we arrived in Sri Lanka. I got off the plane. I went into the um, arrivals and he was standing there with a card, you know, you know, the thing. Yeah, yeah. Welcome, Mr. And um, he's like, oh, hello, my name's. And he said, you know, welcome to Sri Lanka. He said, I've got great news. I've, I found your mum. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like, this is, this is the last two weeks of my honeymoon. This is the first day that I've come to Sri Lanka after 30 odd years. Charlie, my husband... He'd, when we first dated, when we were 18, he used to sneak in and out of my house. So he'd never met my mum and dad because he just used to sneak in and out. In the yeah. middle <laughs> and it was, uh, and then, so he was now going to meet my real mum before he'd even met my adopted mum. Wow. So it was a bit of a like, oh my God, we're on our honeymoon and I'm about to meet my real mum in two days. So it was a Saturday and he was like, right, you're going to meet your mum on Monday. He said, she doesn't speak Sri Lankan. She doesn't speak Sinhalese. Um, so I'll, I'll, we'll meet her and I'll translate everything. So I was like, okay, fair enough. Yeah, he's like, ask me any, write down any questions you want. And when we get there, we'll go through them. I said, okay. And I was just like, so I almost like just shell-shocked, you know, like, oh my God. Yeah, because you, you weren't expecting it. It wasn't kind of why was, you went no, there. No. So I was going there on my honeymoon, like to show Charlie Sri Lanka, he'd never been. And so we never thought anything of it. We just thought, oh, you know, I'm going to give him these details. He won't be able to find her, no one's, you know. And uh, so sort of left it. So I was a bit in shock. I was like, oh my God. So, um then he came and picked us up two days later and he took me to, to down to this village, drove up to the mountains. He took me to the hospital that I was born in, took me to the orphanage wow. that I was born in. And then he said, you know, we're going to go meet your mum. And uh, I went to this house and the house that she had me in. So basically, so for my mum, she was meant to, all I knew that when I grew in, growing up was that my mum was 17 she'd had me out of wedlock she'd had an affair with an English guy that had come over to work and obviously that was the not the done thing Mm -hmm. and her family said you've either got two choices you adopt this you put this child up for adoption or you are basically not part of this family anymore so she decided that she was gonna put me up for adoption but she had to go in hiding so no one knew that she'd even had a baby and that she was pregnant so the family that looked after her um that had me um, looked after her while I was preg- while she was pregnant. I was meeting them as well. So she was going back to their house yeah. to meet me with them 
because they hadn't seen me since I was seven weeks old since they all took me to the orphanage. Oh, my gosh. So I went to this house and there's this family and I, there was all these women standing at the door and I was coming down this hill, this steep hill, and there are all these women. I'm thinking, which one is she, which one? And they sort of all parted and she came out of the middle and she just cried the entire yeah. time. And it was really weird because I felt absolutely nothing. And I didn't feel upset that I'd met her. I didn't feel sad. I sat next to her. We talked and she just cried. And I felt like the mother, really. Yeah. I felt like I was mothering her. And I just didn't feel any emotion. And I mean, people laugh at me because they say I've got a black heart. But it wasn't that at all. It was that I just don't know what it was. There was something missing for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what it is. And then we, anyway, we spent these hours together and I left her house And I got into this like tuk-tuk type car with this guy. And when I got in the car, the first thing Charlie said to me was, can can you imagine if that wasn't her? And I was like, oh my God, I thought exactly the same thing. And that was our first thought as soon as we left her. So I don't know if I have met my real mum. Because I think, unfortunately, and and this is really, really, this is really cynical of me, but I'm quite, I'm very much like that, is that we just paid this guy 2,000 pounds who we barely know. £2,000 is a lot of money to people in Sri Lanka, yeah. the third world country. Now, I, in the back of my head, I was like, you know, he could have paid that family 200 quid, say, and said, there's a girl coming over. All you have to do is sit there and cry, pretend that you're her family, pretend that you're what I'm telling you. Because I gave him all the information. I yeah. told him I needed to sort of tell him that apparently this was happening. Apparently that had happened. She'd been taken in by a family. And he provided that. Mm-hmm. He provided everything that I almost told him. In, in, in one fell swoop. So how do I know if actually she wasn't my mum? It's such, I mean, Dilly, it's such an incredible story. Like either, I mean, yeah. you're you're so right in the fact that you even have the thoughts of, is it my real mum, is it not? Like that that whole journey emotionally is just really hard. But as you said before, um, earlier on, like, with this whole story, so many things had to align for you to get to where you are. I mean, we could probably just, I could do a whole like series on just this <laughs> as being signed or moments. But, you know, I just, I just love the fact that it's, it's more like your parents and the fact that they couldn't have children and they moved over. And, you know, the fact that, you know, you were put up for adoption mm-hmm. at such a young age. And, you know, I mean, it's a really hard question to ask, but do you ever think like, what if I hadn't been put, like, did that ever cross your mind when you were speaking to your mum, even though you were quite sceptical of it? Of course, yeah, of course. It's, it's really strange because obviously, you know, all the time, and especially since all this amazing stuff has happened to me in the last year with the TV show, you know, my business is doing well, you know, my it's just everything, you know, my mum is well, she's in the bottom of the garden in her own house finally, amazing. you know. It's like everything really is really going well at the moment and you do pinch yourself all the time. I pinch myself all the time thinking, oh, my goodness, I could be living in a in a third world country in Sri Lanka, you know, literally carrying bottles of water on my head up and down, down to, to, to a well. Her giving making that decision to give me up for adoption was major for yeah. me who she didn't know where I was going to end up I might have just ended up with another family in Sri Lanka you know mm-hmm. how did she know that at that time or she didn't know but how lucky was I that at that time my parents had decided to come back to Sri Lanka and look into it and it just so happened that their friend yeah. was the bishop of something connected to the woman that owned the orphanage yeah, it's so incredible, Dilly. It's so, and it's so it's so great that you talk so openly about it as well because there's obviously a lot of people that have, you know, been through similar stories. And you mentioned um, the, the honeymoon that you went to with your husband, which takes us nicely to your second moment. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Um, so, and you kind of said this is more that what you think is around fate. So um, the death of your mother-in-law, which made you get back in touch with your now husband. So you met at 18, you dated for 10 months, you spent 11 years apart you then got back together and now you've got a family. And I know that you kind of say that you took like a risk for love and you were lucky. Um, and I actually, from stalking your Instagram, saw the amazing journey of yeah. your yours that you have print on your wall. So um, it's incredible. So do you want to kind of explain what happened? Maybe start with how you first met. Yeah, so I basically, I managed to blag this job at this uh, company called Lombard Business Finance. And I say I blagged it because I got an E in maths twice at school. I, I got an E in maths GCSE. My <laughs> mum made me retake it got an E again I'm so bad at numbers it's ridiculous so how I managed to get this interview at this finance company I don't know it's so funny because I literally I still laugh at the fact that anyone employed me when I can't even think what five plus three is without <laughs> using my um, so anyway I obviously charmed my way through this interview had the gift of the gab and uh, got this job and uh, Charlie was there it was this really small office it was a finance office he's also got the gift of the gab and he's a right schmoozer and he absolutely you know we just fell in love and Amazing. he knew some people I knew and yeah we were absolutely besotted with each other and my girlfriends now say to me the day that I dumped Charlie they've never seen me cry or be upset as I was really? back then they said it was like, oh, it was the worst decision of my life, but it was also at the time I was 18. Mm -hmm. We'd been dating and he was about to buy me this really expensive watch for my 19th birthday. And I remember saying to my girlfriend, I can't let him buy it for me because I just don't know if this is going to last. He's just too nice. He's like a really nice guy. And I can't just take it off him when I think I, you know, I feel like I need to live my life a bit. Yeah. And so I dumped him. I dumped him for being too nice. <laughs> and uh, like, silly girls do when we're young yeah we all um, do I wanted, the nice one. I wanted the bad boy and so I dumped him and broke his heart and he'd tell you the same now he'd say yep you're the only girl that ever broke my heart and off he went traveling so he went off traveling and uh you know he'd come back every few years and I'd like be walking down the local high street and I'd see him and we'd spend a few nights together and catch up and off he'd go again and then I didn't see him for years and years and it must have been six seven years I think I'd seen him five years and then I didn't see him again till much much later so basically I hadn't seen him for years and years I wasn't even on Facebook with him we weren't Facebook friends and um, I, I was working as a private a personal assistant in private family in a private house yeah. in Virginia Water and my uh, one of my best friends called me and went oh my god have you heard about Charlie's mom and I was like no and they're like she's been killed in a car crash oh my I was like, gosh Charlie, my Charlie they're like yeah and I was like, oh, and, and so Charlie basically had, he was always living with his mum. He was a bachelor, he would have been a bachelor forever, living yeah. the best, his best life. His mum's house, his mum and dad had divorced many, many moons ago. His mum mm -hmm. lived in this little house. And I knew how much his older sisters had moved out years ago. And he was a mummy's boy. And he just always 
always was and he you know he adored his mum and I knew I knew how much she meant unbelievably broken he would have been mm. so I remember I thought oh my god I've got to contact him so I contacted him on Facebook found his Facebook and sent him a message and didn't think you know he you know because you can miss messages can't you and I found him on Facebook and I sent him a message and I said look I've, I've heard about your mum I, I'm working in houses. I clear houses. I, I organise how, like, let me come and help you. Let me come and help you clear her house. Let me come and help you, you know, get rid of the stuff that you need to get rid of. You know, I know you're going to be on your own or is your sister coming back? Who's there to help you? And he was like, oh my God, it's so good to hear from you. Um, I'm actually just on my way back now. I was working in Vegas. I'm coming back on a flight tomorrow. I'd love to see you. And so um, I basically went to the funeral and I laughed because my sister-in-law, who's absolutely crazy, and if you watch my Instagram, you know that we're at really, really, really close. She always laughs because she says, I always, I took him at his lowest death. <laughs> She's like, you drink into that, you walked into that funeral and you're like, don't you the banner? red trench coat your Louboutins a black skin tight dress and you <laughs> took him when he was doing his lowest <laughs> and uh, you took him under your wing and actually it's what absolutely what he needed and uh, we just were like it was like nothing had ever changed it was like we were 18 again and he was still the only person that loved me like he did and um, he said you have to um he said you know you're you're in this job you're busy you know why don't you I'm working in America um, for six weeks why don't you just come out and meet me and if it works out it works out so he is um he's a plasterer by trade but he works for a film co- a plaster company that build film sets and shop interiors and all sorts and one of their biggest contracts was all saints and he was building a all saints shop in chicago so he said to me look just quit your job come out and meet me everything's paid for six weeks wow. in chicago if we don't get on we don't get on and i just thought you know what I, i'm never ever going to travel i'm never going to mm-hmm. do this and i just said to my girlfriends, I'm going to go. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go. So I said to the family I was working for, look, this guy has come back into my life. I feel like it's fate. I've just turned 30. And so two weeks after Charlie's mum died, my dad then died. Wow. So my adopted dad died two weeks after his mum died. So my week of my 30th, Charlie came back. Two weeks later, my dad died. His mum had died. He'd come back into my life. And it was like, you know, when you turn 30, there's this just pivotal moment in your life. where you Massively sort of think, pivotal moment. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm a woman, I'm, so I'm that, you know, I've got to start making better decisions. And so basically my last promise to my dad was sort of, I'm going to make better decisions because my whole 20s, I just sort of car crashed through them. Yeah. And I just thought, right, I need to start making better decisions. And maybe this is it. Charlie coming back into my life, all these things that happened. If I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. So let's do it. And I never do things like that. I'm not really a risk taker. Yeah. Within days, we were like, should we just get married? He's like, this is it for me. And I was like, yeah, this is it for me. And we're just like, okay, let's get married. So we just no. decided that we were going to go to Australia like we planned and go and save for a year. And he's like, where should we get married? And I was like, well, I just want to go away just you and me. He's like, me too. He's like, should we just go to a beach? He's like, well, why don't we go to Australia? And he said, and why don't we go to Bali? Because Bali was the last place he'd taken his mum. Mm-hmm. on holiday so we actually got married in the hotel that he last took his mum to so oh, the the hotel so yeah so we got married there and yeah it's just it, it like I said it was weird if if and and the weirdest thing is out of all of that is that two weeks before so after I tumped Charlie when I was 18 and then two weeks before his mum had died obviously I found out this after I was in a petrol station in his area 
Yeah. And I saw her and I thought, it's Dilly. And it was his mum. And I was like, oh my God, how are you? Because I thought she hated me because the last time she saw me, I just dumped her, her dumped her son. And I was he, I was coming down the stairs going, bye, Rita, bye. Thinking, yeah. oh my God, please don't go. I was and he's upstairs sobbing. <laughs> and then I saw her and she was all lovely. And she's like, oh my God, you must speak to Charlie. And I was like, how's Sasha? And we had this little conversation and off I went. And then two weeks later, she died. So it was almost cemented the fact that actually yeah. she would have been you could make like like five films out of your life that we've spoken about so far I mean it's just brilliant I mean I wanted to ask like going right back so like I mean when you because I think with relationships timing is everything and a lot of you know a lot of people do break up when they're younger because they need that time and that space when you really think about it now you know if you hadn't have broken up with him then do you think you would still be with him do you think you needed that time away from him to kind of yeah, no way I would have been with him still. I think we wouldn't have explored life. He wouldn't have explored life. He wouldn't have the experience he's got now. You know, he worked all over the world. He travelled the world. He's so well-read. He's so well-travelled. He's amazing at the job that he does. He wouldn't have had all those different experiences had he not lived his life to the full in his 20s. And neither would I have. You know, I had yeah. the best life in my 20s. I had so much fun. Like everyone does in their 20s, you live your life to the full. It's such a great message as well. And I mean... Also, like flipping around the other side, do you reckon, so really thinking about the moment specifically, I mean, it's hard to think, but if his, you know, if you hadn't have heard that his mum had died tragically and got back in touch, do you think there would have come a point where you would have been like, you know what, like I should just get back in touch with Charlie, who was the best person that I ever met? I don't think we'd ever got back in touch. And really? I never, ever would have thought now, if someone had said to me, will you marry Charlie? Would you think you'd marry Charlie Carter or get back to him? I'd be like, no, no way. It just wow. so happened that all these things happened, it almost, they aligned. Mm -hmm. It's like out of something so tragic, something amazing happened. You know, we got married and now we've got a daughter. And, you know, it's it's like those things would never have happened. The stars definitely fully aligned for you at that moment. Um, and I mean, your third moment um, is also so brilliant because I think it was probably um, really the catalyst for you setting up your own business, but also kind of opening up more to your audience. So you've written like your third moment is not talking about your mum's mental health and then making the decision to come on Instagram. So you speak a lot about your mum's mental health. She has bipolar. Um, so do you want to explain a bit about kind of what made you decide to go on Instagram and what was kind of the moment and decision that changed you? Um, I think because I, I mean, I really didn't know much about Instagram at all. Um, uh, you know, three, four years ago, I think it was three years ago, or maybe four years ago, I came on Instagram, I think it must be three years ago. And um, I'm my friends in marketing. And I remember we were sat on the plane and I was going, you know, she's like, what do you, we'd gone away for a, like a little girl's holiday for three days. And she was like, look, I was just sort of in this, like, what shall I do? I need to grow my business. I need to do something. I know that this is what I want to do. And she's like, okay, well, just get on Instagram. Start showing your befores and afters. Talk about your mum's house. You know, they're really good befores and afters. And she said, and you're good at talking about stuff. So just talk about it. Talk about what you're doing. Talk about your mum. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll do that then. So I literally just, we sat there, thought of a name. And I was like, well, should we call it Declutter Dilly? And she was like, no, 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 no. She's like, you need to keep, call it Dollies. Because, you know, when you expand and you have a franchise, Dollies, you can have your little Dollies everywhere. And your yeah. followers can be your Dollies. And I was like, yeah, I like that. I like that. So um, I was like, okay, Declutter Dollies. And we li I literally went home, did some brand. We, she did all my branding for me. Mm -hmm. I came on Instagram. And people started, you know, catching on to that and seeing that, oh, this is a real house and this is real people. And it's not just all... It, pretty and and I would talk about it you know this is why we do this this is why we do that and I think that's probably something that I'm good at talking about as well is is selling 
is 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 explaining why why we do things and like you said the psychology behind it and and I think the fact for my mum I thought I'm going to start talking about my mum's house because that's the that's the biggest before and after I've ever done yeah and that's the most important before and after I've ever done because that's changed her life you know it changed me going in and doing that not only changed her life but it changed my life because if I hadn't have shared that and if I hadn't got that background and the ability to talk from experience, then you're not, you know, um, people can believe in you, can't they? Yeah. Because I grew up in clutter. I grew up surrounded by clutter. I grew up in chaos. I grew up with a mother with mental health issues. I've got a mother that lives at the bottom of my garden. You know, I'm a working mum. I've got a child. Everything that I'm experiencing is, is what everyone else is experiencing. So I'm not just showing you, here's my pretty cupboard and this is my lazy season. I'm showing you every aspect of my life, which yeah. I think is really important because you know, you have to, I think if you're going to bear your soul on Instagram and you want people to respond, you have to show everything. Yeah. And it makes, and it makes people connect with you as well. I mean, do you think that when you first did help your mum kind of declutter house, that was maybe when the idea sparked that you were like, I'm actually quite good at this. Like, yeah. Oh, 100%. Because when I did her house, I did it over a weekend and I thought, God, I'm really good at this. and I'm really quick at it. And I think, I don't know why it is. I think maybe because I grew up in it, because I, I just am very good at going into a, like I said, I could open someone's front door and, and, and climb over their mail and climb over the clutter. And all I see is the end result. I don't see what I'm looking at. I see the end result. And I can see it all really quickly. So I think that's my USP, as it were, is that I, I, I've got a vision that some people don't have. And it's not, some people just can't see past the clutter you know when you really think it's like you know you start to think if you you know if you hadn't have helped your mum would you have realized your talent but then also like I think as well taking the risk to go on Instagram and really as you say kind of use that platform to visually show what you do but also like really connect the dots with mental health and clutter because it's not you know I, I've I you know I'm someone that for example I wouldn't I'm, I'm tidy but you know I can be very messy but everything has a place in my flat which means that I know even if it's messy for a week it'll be fine the day that I clear it all up and I think you really promote that that's what it's all about it's not about being tidy it's about being organized absolutely and it's not it's not about perfection and I think people are constantly trying to strive for, uh, for perfection they they can think that you know if I haven't got everything in glass jars that's not that's not how a house should be or if I haven't got everything in containers or and I'm constantly trying to tell people look that is the end result if you want it to be that but it's, it doesn't have to be that yes it's going to look lovely yes it creates a beautiful aesthetic yes it's lovely to have beautifully organized clear cupboards but there's much more to it than that I want you just to be in control of your home I want you to think about the things that you're bringing into your house I want you to know what you have in your house I don't want you to be just opening cupboards and things falling out on you I just want you to know that you know what is what you're in control of because when you start losing control that's when your mental health starts getting affected when you feel out of control of your house then suddenly everything else has a ripple effect. And even though you don't think it does, you know it does. Because Mm -hmm. we all know, don't we, the feeling we get, even for making our bed, it feels good, doesn't it? When you make your bed and you open the curtains, you open a window, when it's a sunny day, you get the doors open. You know, when you've done the washing up, you know, when your flat is all immaculate and clean or whatever, you just feel so much good. You You really do. Oh, yeah. I mean, the endorphins you get from just little things, cleaning out your cutlery drawer can really make a change. So it makes you feel better. So it's, it's small steps. 
It's so incredible. Everybody needs a Dilly in their life. Um, <laughs> Dilly, it's been so great to chat to your moments. And I mean, this is probably going to be a hard question for you to answer, but from all the things you've gone through in your life, like what would you say is kind of the one message from everything that you've been through that like just really, you just always say to yourself, I know, I know you kind of talk about like someone's having that moment of being like, gosh, wow, like I'm so grateful for everything I've got. But what, what kind of really resonates most with you when you think back about your whole life so far? I think... I think I think meeting Charlie's probably I think getting back with Charlie was probably the most pivotal thing in my life. I think he changed everything for me in terms of I think the love that I get, the love that I give out. I think without that solid relationship and that solid base, I don't think I'd have been able to do much more. You have to look at your life and think if you're just sat there wondering if you should do something, just do it. Yeah. You know, because you never know where it's going to end up, do you? You never know where you're going to end up. And look at me. I, I couldn't have ever dreamed that I was going to be on a TV show. And it was never anything in my path. I never planned to do that. And like I said, it's not even my goal now. It's it's, it's a lovely, lovely plus side of what I do. It's lovely mm-hmm. to be able to do my day job on a TV show. Dilly, it's such a great message. And you are so, such an inspiration to people. And thank you for coming on thank and you. sharing your rainbow of an amazing life as you said the ups and the downs the good and the bad and I'm so excited for the next series of sorts um out your life really excited for that coming later on this year so thank you so much for joining me today and it's been brilliant to chat to you it's a pleasure thank you for having me thanks Dilly thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of sliding doors If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.